Hey everyone, it's Michael here, and you're listening to the Goody Reader Radio Show. It's Friday, March the 6th, 2015, here at goodyreader.com, and we have some Kobo news to get into today. Uh, first of all, they've discontinued two devices in recent weeks, uh, the Kobo Aura HD, which was the company's first 6.8-inch e-reader, and it's been since supplanted by the Kobo Aura H2O, which is basically the HD plus the waterproof nature of it. So not much change from the HD to the H2O. Uh, some subtle hardware changes, but more or less the waterproof feature. So Kobo really didn't need to 6.8 inch e-readers in their portfolio. And uh, incidentally, the Aura HD, when it originally came out in 2013, was received very well. Kobo didn't really have a lot of expectations behind the device. They thought it would perhaps be around 3% of their total hardware sales. It ended up being 25% of the company's e-reader sales in 2013. So I think that that's what really inspired them to add the 6.8-inch e-reader to their portfolio and release a more modern device, which is the H2O. And incidentally, it has been unveiled, so to speak. It's for sale now in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, the other e-reader to get the axe was the Kobo Glow. And the Kobo Glow has been around since about 2012. It had its day in the sun. It's Many generations of e-readers have come out since then, but the Glow was a perennial part of Kobo's uh, arsenal, so to speak. It served as an avenue of international expansion because it was getting long in the tooth to make all the components and everything and to order more got cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And so Kobo used the uh, Glow as sort of an avenue to expand to South America, to Africa, uh, to Asia, and a lot of other markets where consumer electronics do cost a lot of money. If you look at like Brazil and what's happening in South America, tech almost costs double. It's almost on par with sort of Australia, where it's, just, it's so hard to get stuff out there that when you take into account like duties and tariffs, it dramatically increased the cost of anything. So the Glow did well in South America, merely because uh, everything else was just so expensive that the Glow ended up being fairly economically reasonable for a lot of people. Additionally, in Kobo News, uh, the company has unveiled a Windows Phone 8 e-reading app. Right now they're soliciting beta testers. So if you're a beta test if you want to be a beta tester and you want to get an early look at the company's Windows Phone 8 e-reading app, uh, they want to hear from you. All you have to do is send an email to Windows App Feedback at Kobo.com. Again, it's all one word. Windows app feedback at Kobo.com and they want to know the email address associated with your Microsoft Store account so they could uh, send you the link for all the beta builds as well as uh, whenever there's updates for it based on feedback that they're going to uh, start including that with you. Amazon, our favorite company, has just unveiled a way for comic and manga previews to be available in Japan. 
we take for granted, I guess, you know, being in, in Canada and North America and, you know, Western Europe as a whole that uh, we can sample things before we buy them. And But this wasn't the case in a lot of other markets. Uh, in Japan, the only way that you could read a preview of, say, like a graphic novel or a manga or a comic book or something like that was to use the Kindle Cloud Reader, the HTML5 reading app. But now you can have it sent to any e-reader or tablet you may own. But in addition to uh, like uh, an actual Kindle hardware fire device as well. In other Amazon news, their e-books are once again available in U.S. libraries. So uh, this was a story that actually garnered a lot of attention in the library community uh, when we first broke it a few weeks ago. What happened was Overdrive was experiencing technical issues. So from about December to about February, a lot of bestsellers from major publishers such as Penguin, HarperCollins, or Hachette, their Kindle editions weren't being uh, sent to libraries. And so when libraries purchased these ebooks, they were only available in EPUB format not the Kindle edition. Now, this issue wasn't really noticed until the beginning of February when some users started uh, corresponding with us to say that, you know, there's a problem. A lot of these newer books from my library aren't available in Kindles, but they do have older titles available in Kindle editions. So uh, we called up a ton of libraries all over the U.S., they verified that the Kindle editions were lacking. Uh, they said uh, 51 out of about 500 plus bestsellers uh, were available in the Kindle edition. So that's a, a drop in the bucket, so to speak. The industry never really noticed it because it started happening in December. So this is about the same time as uh, the Christmas holidays. People were getting smartphones, their tablets, new e-readers. They were going to the library and saying, hey, you know, I got a new device. Can you show me how to use it? Can you get me set up so I can borrow ebooks? And then plus the, the you know, the, the run-of-the-mill uh, patron that always goes to the library to uh, borrow digital books. So you had all the new people plus the established people just slam the system. So you figure that, like, the collections management team, the IT team, they're just making sure that everything's copacetic, that uh, there's enough books available. If, you know, people are saying, you know, I want to read this latest John Grisham book, there's only three copies, and there's, like, an 80-person wait list, well, then the library purchases a few of those copies. So Christmas time, the New Year's, uh, first week and a half of January was the Consumer Electronics Show, uh, followed closely by the American Library Association Midwinter Conference. And so you could see that, like, towards the end of December and, like, basically all of January, it's, like, people getting geared up for these events these big events getting the libraries you know back to normal and just like tech stuff everywhere so you figure like all the people from overdrive all the people from the major libraries they're at all these events and they're not really looking at their system and saying like look there might be a problem here and why would they you know uh, kindle ebooks have been working in the u.s libraries for like a number of years and you know when something's working especially like all this time you don't really notice there's a problem until people tell tell you that there's a problem you just assume that would all work it's like visiting your favorite website every day it's like 
from a superficial customer level, it's like, yeah, you know, I go there, I read content and I leave and, you know, that's it. But there's maybe some underlying things that people aren't aware of. Those underlying things in libraries were Kindle eBooks. 95% of all libraries in the U.S. currently have an eBook collection and the undisputed market leader in facilitating digital content, selling it to libraries so they can loan out to their patrons is Overdrive. They loan out audiobooks, ebooks, music, videos, and more recently, magazines and newspapers, courtesy of Barnes & Noble. So, well, I guess what Overdrive told us was that it was a technical glitch. They were only made aware of it when we published our story, and then, um, you know, a lot of other media latched on to it libraries started asking their overdrive web reps questions and so uh you know everyone knew there was a problem when we broke the story like i talked to over 50 different libraries like in the states a lot of people started talking to me about it and uh, i guess overdrive basically said that it was a glitch we're sorry you know, Kindle ebooks will continue to be offered through our system. But, you know, if it's a technical glitch, I mean, things like that normally have like alarms. Um, so I guess from like an IT point of view, I know with like our Goody Reader server, we have like alarms. So if traffic starts spiking, we're aware of it. If things start like 404ing, like, what you know page not found we're made aware of it google sends us pings we have like uh monitoring tools on our site so we could like look at a lot of things in real time you'd figure overdrive a company that employs hundreds of people uh, all over the u.s they would have a better infrastructure than we do and i would figure that if hundreds of books aren't being delivered in a specific format and sent to hundreds of libraries all over the u.s if not thousands that there is an issue and you know it kind of boggles my mind that it was a technical issue i don't really think it is uh the conspiracy uh theory <laughs> uh aspect of myself would probably say that overdrive and amazon were renegotiating a new contract for the kindle format and it was either their contract had just ended or they were nearing ended. So this is why no Kindle books were being sent out because Amazon was not sending the Kindle editions as the contract was being negotiated. And this sort of falls in line with what their dispute with Hachette was, where they would put a week, you know, people couldn't order books from them because they said that they were sold out or it would take six to eight weeks to get shipped to them. And so uh, limiting digital content is an Amazon's playbook, as we all know from their many contract disputes, but the Hatchet one probably garnered the most attention uh, in the publishing world and sort of drew a lot of casual eyes to Amazon's uh, sometimes iron-fisted uh, contract negotiation tactics to gently or more or less like make them bend them to your will, you know, and I have a feeling that there was some sort of contract stuff going on. It could have been just a technical glitch, but I think the technical glitches, if you have an IT team that's worth their salt, uh, they're on top of that stuff uh, right away. It shouldn't have to take basically like two months for them to realize that there is a problem. What's happening at Goody Reader these days? Well, we're pretty proud to 
release the first e-ink app store for Android e-readers. Most of you who read our publication, uh, goodyreader.com, you'll know that there's more e-readers that have come out in the last 12 months running a vanilla version of Android. So much like your tablet, much like your Android smartphone, uh, you can install apps, you can install third-party app stores, you can download any app that you want from Google Play and go wild. You know, you're not like... Traditionally, with e-readers, you're limited in who you can do business with. So if you buy a Kindle e-reader, you're locked in Amazon. If you buy a Kobo e-reader, you're locked in the Kobo. If you buy Nook, etc., right? And most e-readers run Linux, and that's like what the vast majority do. The only ones that ever ran Android on their e-readers was Sony and Barnes & Noble. But they had sort of heavily augmented it so uh, from a casual pointer, uh, like a casual user point of view, you couldn't install your own apps. It was pretty well what you what do you get when you take it out of the box is basically what you get minus any of the type of content that you would buy from those retailers directly. And so in 2014, a big trend with a lot of the European companies like uh, Onyx, like... Uh, Icarus, Energy System, uh, Boich, and a ton of others. What they did is they kind of realized that, hey, you know, most of the most smartphones and tablets in the world are running Android. Android pretty well has the largest market share. Why don't we just install a vanilla version of Android? And wouldn't that be like so much easier than like handcrafting a Linux uh, operating system? And you know, um, I know from dealing and talking with a lot of uh, factories and OEMs in China and Taiwan, you can buy hardware from them. It's like, how many units do you want to buy? Do you want to buy a hundred? Do you want to buy a thousand? And then they say, oh yeah, you know, do you want like an OEM ebook reading solution? Yeah, okay, it'll cost like an extra five to ten grand. What a lot of these companies were saying, like, you know, we can just load Android on it and just let the users figure out, you know, what they want to do themselves. So, you know, you want to install the Kindle app, you want to install the Kobo app, Comixology, uh, Manga Box newspaper magazine apps whatever right like the drop boxes you know the, i'm not gonna like mention a million apps but you get you guys get the gist of it and so these companies started to release e-readers with open android the problem was everyone but onyx wasn't including an app store on their e-readers uh, onyx what they did is they sort of had a pirated version of Google Play. They never had an authorized version. Um, so I think Google kind of got mad at them. And the last few new Onyx devices that have come out have had no app store. So they got into trouble with Google because it was like an unauthorized version. They, you know, their devices obviously did not match the minimum spec cart, you know, requirements. You know, when, when, tablet providers uh, get a license for Google services, it's like, not only do you have Google Play, but you have like Gmail, you have like, uh, you know, Google Drive, there, there's a number of apps that Google says that has to be pre-installed on a device in order for it to uh, meet the requirements of Google. Obviously, Onyx didn't do that. But what it really what I'm getting at is, 
most of the e-readers out there were just like shipped to readers. There was like a default e-reading app. Didn't really do a good job, but there was no way to buy e-books. And so a lot of people were like cranking open these new e-readers and saying like, look, you know, what can I do? <laughs> There's no e-book store. And so what we did is we developed the first e-ink app store for Android. And really what this is, is it's a, a solid solution, I think, mainly for e-readers because it gives you a chance to be able to uh, install the apps that you want without having to, um, you know, deal with a crummy interface. We had about three Android e-readers that we had in our labs when we were developing this, and we optimized it. So we made sure that you know, the, the refresh issues were taken care of. A lot of the graphics are really small. There's no, like, slideshows or heavy images. We cut down and removed all advertising within the app, and we limited a lot of app categories that our normal app store has, like games, kids' apps, you know, things like that. Things that, obviously, you can't play a lot of games on e-readers. Although you can play some games, like Words with Friends and, you know, very lightweight type of apps that basically don't have a lot of animations going on just like simple you click on words you know it's 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 robust so we have a few games like that there but we mainly focus just on digital reading newspapers magazines comics uh e-reading apps uh we have about 29,000 apps that are compatible with e-readers and so if you purchased an Android-driven e-reader from one of these European companies, uh, our app store sometimes comes preloaded on it. I know a lot of newer e-readers by Icarus, they have our app store preloaded on their Excel and their second generation Illumina HD. So our app store is preloaded on that. But we're trying to reach out to like these other guys and be like, look, you know, you're shipping these e-readers out that rely on users to get apps but there's no app store on it so what are the what's the casual user gonna do you know they they won't know how to like sideload apps or to like search google and install like app stores on their stuff you know they just they just want it to work and that's normally the same type of people that buy kindles and kobos you know they just want to buy an e-reader they turn it on they set up their wi-fi and they can immediately start shopping for books that's what our app store does but you know we got to definitely start talking more with a lot of these other companies to be able to uh, get them to have it on it uh, we don't charge any fees you know we don't really make too much money from like the e-ink app store like at all just because there's no advertising there's no license fees you know we just basically like we've been covering e-readers and e-reader news since like 2007 so i've been following it since like about 2006 2007 we started goody reader up like the winter of 2007 so like when the original kindle came out uh that's when we really started to focus on the news and you know we we've covered everything you know barnes and noble getting into it kobo getting into it a lot of companies coming and going uh you know the i remember vividly uh ces 
2009 and 2010, it was just like all e-readers, uh, wall to wall. Everybody was selling e-readers. And then like 2011 and 2012, it was just like all tablets. And then like 2013, we started to see like more smartphones, uh, some smartwatches. And then like 2014 and 15, it's all like the Internet of Things, you know, drones, um, you know, all sorts of like gadgets and gugads and things like that sort of like you know it's e-readers have once again almost had like have like this niche following which is like how it really started in like 2007 2008 when it was like sony and and, uh, amazon they were the only ones kind of selling e-readers it was only like the hardcore readers who were like in the know that was like you know i could buy this device Instead of spending twenty nine to thirty nine dollars on a hardcover book when it comes out, it only costs nine dollars. That sounds cool, and you know that's how e readers sort of caught on. I mean, I remember in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, uh, the first Kindles and and Sony's, you know, they cost like three hundred ninety nine dollars. You know, they were expensive, but it made sense investing in that because just ebooks are so cheap. Now we have like entry level Kindles on sale for like $59. You know, you could buy a good e-reader, no pun intended, for like under $99 now. So it's almost like e-readers are a bit more popular now than they were in 2007, but I think it's like the same type of people that are reading them now and the casuals that really kind of made the e-reader market explode in that like 3 or 4 year uh, period from like basically 07 to about 2012 2000 2011 2012 was like the peak of e-readers it was just like crazy uh but now it's sort of like tailored off and you just have the hardcores there but what i'm really kind of getting at is like we've been there almost since like the very beginning and uh you know we we love covering the news and letting you guys know the new devices that are coming out what we legitly think of them we almost like review every e-reader out there but like maybe random ones from korea but even from korea i remember we reviewed uh the big e-reader that came out there using miracell uh, technology i think it was like called the kyobo which was a big bookstore chain in south korea i mean we we review e-readers from like russia china everywhere like the netherlands um you know yeah so i mean we we do it all and so we kind of like to give back a bit and and we sort of do that with our e-reader app store for e-ink is sort of like we're giving back to the e-reader community that's been so good to us over the years that's been like loyal who reads us like every day who goes to our like website they visit our app store they visit our youtube channel and i mean we we really appreciate everyone's support you know over the years um you know the free contest that we run the you know we're on social media like facebook and twitter like every day just sending out random tweets you know on what we're reading and you know what are some news things that you need to catch up on so yeah i mean our our app store for e-ink it's sort of like it's our way of giving back to the community and i mean it costs less money to develop it and to to get it happening enough but i guess like the other big thing that we're working on right now is uh getting our developer portal running properly so if you go to apps.goodyreader.com, it's our web-based version of our app store. So you could just like 
no registration, just download whatever apps that you want. We have a free Android client. We even have a BlackBerry client that you can install uh, because we support BlackBerry apps too. Um, so really we have like about 35,000 apps in total, but what we really kind of want to do is expand the amount of content that we have right now we've only been really able to offer free apps we haven't really ever uh, invested in paid apps but now that we have like an android app store a blackberry app store uh, an e-ink app store it's, i think it's sort of time that we start having like moon plus reader pro and uh you know like the the paid editions of all these e-reading apps that with the free version you see ads and i mean if you're reading like three or four books you're inadvertently clicking on ads opening up your web browser uh people end up like not liking that so we really kind of want to open up a better developer system that will allow retailers to upload their paid apps to be able to uh, get paid promptly to be able to instantly see how much they're earning what users are paying for their apps and by proxy all of our app stores will be able to support paid apps so you can be not logged in and download all these free apps but i mean if you want to download a pay app you would have to you know make an account just name email i think a password and that's that's pretty well it and then once you're in a system, securely ensure like all your, your, your data, you could add funds to your account or you could just buy apps like on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And we, you know, we really want to just start with like all the, all the e-reading apps, you know, there's a million paid apps out there by like Disney and electronic arts and game loft and things. We eventually want to get relationships with those guys but we kind of want to start with just like the e-reading apps like the pro versions of all the apps that people use like on a daily basis uh, but it's just not that viable with our app store and i noticed that paid apps on app stores in general severely lacking it's like google play and amazon they're like the only two companies to have paid apps and all like the other indie companies like Getjar, like uh, One Mobile, uh, Yandex, and all these other companies, they don't really have like a a good infrastructure for people to like log in, upload their paid apps, see all the like analytics on the back end, understand where their sales are coming from and how many units that they're selling, like all in real time. So that's sort of what we want to do. But it's so arduous undertaking it's it's taken like about like five months to get from the original idea to where we are now and i think it's going to probably take another few months to really kind of flesh it out um it's being worked on right now it's just like new features and things that we need and it needs to look sexy and things like that plus we have to update all of our apps so it's uh it's a huge undertaking but i think it will benefit everyone because you'll be able to uh, have an alternative to Google. And Google's been getting a lot of negative attention lately, not through us, but by uh, companies uh, like Yola, uh, who've made the, the, the Yola tab or the Jala tab, as people would say in, in North America. Uh, these are former Nokia executives, and they've been like lambasting Amazon, or uh, sort of Google Play uh, lately. They're just saying that, Everyone who has Google Play installed on their apps is just like feeding into the Google machine because like they Google doesn't really hold privacy in such a high regard anymore. 
um, as evident through like the Edward Snowden links uh, and everything. Uh, it's just like Google is, they get served so many DMCA notices. Uh, they get like judge like things every day, people's Gmail accounts compromised. And, you know, there's a lot of spyware on Google Play. We wrote a story the other day about how um, Google does a pretty good job with like, keeping track of apps that have malware in its app store but what a lot of people are doing now is they're doing malware ebooks in the google playbook store and they're basically trying to uh, they, they do it in such a way that you think you're buying an app but you're just buying a book and the book is just like a link to a pirated app and you visit that link and it's, it installs malware and viruses like on your computer so for like the casual type of people uh, that's the type of content that Google has because Google doesn't really have like any quality and control and they're more into like big data how many users are using us how can we expand more how can we get google play on many more devices and um amazon's not really any better <laughs> you know the amazon the you know the quintessential amazon boogeyman i mean it, it, for those of you that read goody reader or follow the publishing industry or follow ebooks uh you know that amazon gets a bad rap and um most of it's just because like their business practices or are pretty draconian there um if if there was like a personification of like an iron-fisted ruler that all the peasants quivered in fear whenever they like walked by and they would always bow their heads and if someone didn't bow their head it was like literally off with their head or you know putting a rope around their neck and stringing them up for like all to see so all the other peasants would be kept in line um that would be Amazon. And, uh, you know, they, they, they run a good business. I mean, they 75% of all ebook sales in North America stem from Amazon. So they, they definitely do it right. And I mean, I'm the first to admit that the Kindle Voyage is the best e-reader that there is. It's the best e-reader. It's like the culmination of all the great aspects of, of e-reader tech that's been introduced all the years, uh, all in one nice little package. So for me, uh, who reviews almost every e-reader in the market, just like the Voyage is like the epitome of e-readers, and it's just gives you such a fluid experience. But from like an Android point of view, yeah, I mean, Amazon really locks everyone down. It's hard to deal with Amazon apps if you live in other markets. So like living in Canada, I'm severely limited on what I can get from Amazon when I can't. If you live in the US, it's friggin' all good. I mean, you live in the UK, it's all good as well. But if you live in a lot of international markets, Amazon doesn't really serve you. So this is kind of like why we're focusing on our app store that like we value people's privacy. We don't really care about like big data. We just kind of want to like give people a compelling alternative with like no crazy ulterior motives. You know, it's, it's, I, I like to say that like, we're just giving back. I mean, we are with our e-ink app store, but I mean, you know, we just kind of want to get it out there. So, you know, we don't charge licensing fees to anybody. Anybody can use this for free. There's no advertising or any of our new clients. It's just sort of like, we want to give people, no matter where you live, a viable alternative to like Amazon or Google. And if you live in a country where you can't even access those app stores, um, rather than pirating an app or downloading an out of date app when you're just like Googling around, uh, just 
come to us you know most of our stuff's like pretty up to date and if it's not we have like little notification flags on all of our apps that uh, let us know when an app requires an update and every day there's people who are like admitting that stuff that take care of it so enough of a sell uh you know that that's sort of like what we're doing here um if you read our publication, you would kind of know that we've been kind of talking about anime a little bit lately and manga as well. It's sort of like a, not a new direction that we're moving in, but we wanted to expand some of our coverage because like I was kind of talking about earlier, it's like the e-reader industry hit a peak and now it's like on a decline. A lot of companies that are around aren't around anymore. So in terms of like e-reader news, day to day there's not a lot happening i mean uh like on a monthly basis there's 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 news for sure like uh, people updating their apps rumors of new e-readers uh maybe like some blurry pics that someone snaps in china uh but there's always e-reader news but there's not as much as there once was so we're kind of talking we've always talked about digital publishing and ebooks and things like that but now we've recently we've been kind of talking a lot more about like manga and graphic novels and comic books and not like you know, hey, what, read this. It's really good. More or less kind of about the business aspect. Like, hey, you know, this company just opened up a new digital comic store. Check it out. Or, uh, you know, this, um, we're, this new anime series that we're watching is really compelling. Let me tell you why. Because, uh, you know, for me, um, I started watching anime when I was, like, 12 and I grew up in a small town, uh, Thunder Bay, Ontario. It's sort of remote, northwestern Ontario. This is like the type of climate when it snowed. It's The snow went to like the windows and the windows were like six feet, seven feet off the ground. It was so cold uh, waiting at the end of my driveway every day for the bus to pick me up to go to school that my eyelashes would freeze so when you blink it's almost like you're crying because it's just like icicles form and then you blink and then just like it waters down and it just keeps happening like that that's when you know guys it's freaking cold when your eyelashes freeze all right but um what I'm saying is, like, I guess in a small town, uh, there wasn't a lot of, like, things on the television because we just didn't have, like, a lot of options. Um, it was kind of around the same time that there was no internet, so uh, there was no really way to kind of discover new content. The only way that you really could is use bookstores. There really wasn't any chain bookstores uh, around that time. You know, kind of growing up, there was no chapters. Uh, it was just kind of like at grocery stores, <laughs> there was novels. Uh, there was like a few mom and pop type stores, but um, that was basically it. So I started watching anime and my some of my nerdy geeky D and D friends, uh, they introduced me to it back in the day, and I started watching. Uh, so this was like about uh, eighty four to about eighty nine. So I started watching like Ranma One Half, which was a really quirky Chinese style uh, anime. And um, I was a huge fan of Robotech, which was uh, known, I guess, in the West as Macross. And I was really into it. And then I guess like I looked at 
you know, I, I checked out various things. Some resonated with me, some didn't. I kind of kept up watching it until I was about 16 or 17. And then I felt like, you know, kind of watched everything. And I mean, the only things that we could uh, get was stuff that our Japanese friends uh, got from their friends in Japan. So they got like tapes shipped out to them. And so it was kind of like at that same era, the tape trading was really happening where like, I would give you a VHS tape, you would give me a VHS tape, and uh, we'd be able to check stuff out. So I kind of exhausted everything that I could get at our local video rental stores like Blockbusters and, and the mom and pop styles st style stuff. And um, just stuff wasn't uh, resonating with me anymore. So I kind of like just forgot about it. You know, I was just watching uh, good movies and I was like, I'm a huge movie fan. So I watch a lot of movies. I go to the theater a lot. I'm, I'm really adversed with cinema, uh, modern cinema, uh, I, a lot of fringe films, a lot of uh, like foreign films. Uh, one of my favorite foreign film of all time was this French film called uh, Delicatessen. And if you guys Google it, it's actually a really uh, macabre type of story, but uh, I dug it. So yeah, I mean, I fell out of anime, it feels like for a good like 15 16 years and then I started watching it again uh, when I got a free subscription to Crunchyroll and then I was checking it out and I was like wow anime's like really grown up when you kind of watched it in the 80s and I guess early 90s a lot of uh, premises were like rehashed there you know, uh, it seems like there was like the action, violent type stuff. There was like the humor type stuff. And then it was like the mecha type stuff. That was all that I was really ever exposed to. And um, when I was exposed to Crunchyroll, I was like, wow, you know, I started watching stuff like uh, Sword Art Online and Log Horizon and Angel Beats and uh, more recently, stuff like a Tokyo Ghoul Assassination Classroom, Death Parade. And what I really like about all those is that uh, the premise just, it feels really fresh. What I really liked about Sword Art Online is I'm a video gamer at heart. So I guess the, the premise of Sword Art Online was everyone kind of was playing this VR style game. Uh, that did like a neural scan on you, so your your character in the game would pretty well be accurate of who you are in real life, like your height, your weight, your looks, and things like that. And then uh, what had happened is those neural links would actually make it so you're unable to log out, and if you died in game, it would actually send you uh, sh you know stuff through the headgear, so you would actually have a brain aneurysm and die. So kind of a dire plot but I thought it worked and more importantly it felt like really fresh because uh, be playing MMO games for a number of years uh, I, w I understood that you know World of Warcraft what like 9 million people play right now I mean people are pretty familiar with like the concept of like an online type multiplayer game where people are all 
talking and grouping together and and, ha- and having fun and i kind of thought that you know a lot of this anime now feels really fresh because it's sort of using uh the modern vernacular it's using things that feel fresh in 2014 slash 2015 now and i found it to be really interesting and so it, it kind of rekindled my Uh, love of anime and i'm still watching movies don't get me wrong but i'm kind of i'm really kind of feeling it again and i guess looking more into it it's like wow you know manga is doing really well in the digital world it's just so easy just to pirate everything though that a lot of people are just going to scanlation sites they're uh, going to forums where they're not actually paying for anything they're just like downloading it all for free and you know and when i was kind of finding all that out i was like wow you know let's let's focus on the positive aspect let's kind of get people to be like paid consumers instead of piraters because you know, the more that you support companies like uh, Crunchyroll, uh, Funimation, Viz Manga, uh, companies like that, the more uh, the more licenses they'll get, the the better co- quality of content that they'll add. They'll be current, they'll be modern, and they'll be able to give you stuff in HD. I know that a lot of manga stuff is lo-fi by nature, but the anime, especially if you have, like, say, an iPad Air, looks really nice in HD. Uh, but when you're downloading it from, like, pirate sites, it's, like, SD, or they're using, like, WAC codecs and things like that, and uh, not doing, you know, not doing the encoding right. Like, so you're not getting, like, surround sound for example you're just getting like stereo or they're you know the uploader or whatever he was using whack compression so you're just getting like crummy quality so i've always been an advocate of like paid services companies be able to offer like great content great service and the more people are supporting them it's like the better that that company will be at being able to do what they do so we've been covering that space i guess for all of 2015, it feels like so far. Partly because I'm feeling anime again, and by proxy, I've never really been a manga fan, but I, I've always been like a huge reader, and I was kind of off and on Marvel fan over the years, but I kind of go through these like ebbs where, yeah, this this arc is awesome, and then it'll be done, and then I'll kind of read a few things, and I'll feel like, man... Marvel just kind of feels like every few years there's like a big Marvel event that you you have to read. You have to read the main comics. And then there's like now it just seems like there's like 50 different crossovers happening at the same time, variant comic issues and things like that. So for me, it was kind of like I could read Marvel comic books like a few times every few years when there's like big events. But... In between those big events, it just feels like fitter, filler and fallout. So I'm not kind of into that. Whereas with manga, it's sort of like ever evolving. It's it's like if you ever read a web comic where web comics like updated every day. Uh, you know, for me, I love web comics. I, I read the noob and I read questionable content. I was in the order of the stick for a while, but after like, you know, that, that kind of like it, it lost its shine for me, but um, I'm a total loyal, uh, questionable content and 
the noob. So if you guys are looking for a cool web comic, Google those two, or I'll have it in the link of this radio show so you can actually go and check it out. But I think that they do a really, really good job. But with manga, it's like it was it's big in Japan, but it's slowly starting to be popular in like North America and Western Europe primarily through viz media because they have like they do english editions of like shaolin jump i think it's that's how you pronounce it correct me if i'm wrong uh but they do english translations of all the manga uh so you can pretty well stay current on what's going on and digital distribution is like a huge mechanism right now especially like via apps so like the viz manga app for like uh android or the crunchyroll manga uh for like android and ios i mean there's kind of cool ways that people could access this content on the globe on the go some of it's drm free so you can back it up you could read on different devices but for the most part uh, if you have a pc if you have a smartphone if you have a tablet it's all sort of good so primarily we've been covering this space because uh we want to draw attention to the cool companies that are startups or maybe like the perennial favorites that uh, you should know about because we kind of really don't want people to be like pirating this content because that's that's almost like a nail in the coffin for like the the legitimized industry and that's really kind of what we want to focus on but at the same time we do talk about some of the issues uh facing digital piracy not just from manga and stuff like that but for ebooks in general because you know every so often I'll write a report on ebooks with piracy and i'm like blown away i mean in in vietnam in china uh in the the burmese industry right now a lot of the south african uh industry it's all just like pirated or it's people who are like scanning textbooks reselling them to schools so you'll go to like your school uh library or uh, you know your 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 the the campus online bookstore. You'll buy a textbook and it'll be a pirated textbook, but it's so hard to figure it out because just the forgeries are so good. And so, what's happening, I guess, in a lot of those markets, uh, Russia as well, is that um, publishers are remiss to publish their front list bestsellers because they know that it'll just be immediately uh, pirated and it's almost not worth their time to do it and that's sort of why we want to focus on like the positive aspects of things like that and get people supporting these companies because um, that's the only way these publishing industries are ever going to grow talking about the digital uh, textbook piracy issue in particular I remember in late 2014 it was like a big organized crime thing in France and Spain and in South Africa. And in a matter of weeks, there was like all these big sting operations and raids and like 20 or 30 people getting arrested. Big industrial uh, size printing presses were confiscated. And it was like legit like organized crime making their money on drugs and prostitution or gambling, but selling like pirated books. So I'll leave you all with that. Thanks for listening to this uh, week's edition of the Goody Reader Radio Show. You are now more or less up to date on what we're doing and what has happened in this last week. So everybody take care.